The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 176 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. And in this episode, I'm speaking with Natalie Carmen, a civil engineering project manager with the design, engineering, and planning firm Stewart about the Riverfront Park Project, the new seven-acre destination park in Wilmington, North Carolina. And the episode is another episode in our popular Women in Civil Engineering series, and I'm really excited to be bringing this to you. And for those that don't know who I am, I am your episode host today, uh, Chris Knutes, and I'll be interviewing Natalie, and I'm coming to you from my home base in somewhere in the lovely uh, Oxfordshire, England countryside. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I know that I did. I, I had uh, a great conversation with Natalie, and what you don't know is it's the second one because we, we did a, a first take uh, probably a few weeks ago and uh, had some technical glitches like I'm sure all of you have experienced over the past 18 months in our new pandemic work uh, environment. We were able to get together again and record it, and it was an absolutely wonderful interview. So uh, in the conversation, we delve into her experiences working in a multidisciplined uh, project design team on this particular project. We learn a little bit about some of the uh, peculiarities and um, specific design uh, factors they had to take into account. We also learn a little bit more about the ecological factors and uh, uh, getting stakeholder engagement uh, and some of the benefits that can come out of that. And then we also get to hear a little bit from her about what she does to uh, stay at the top of her professional game. And I think you're going to enjoy that as well. Before we get into that and we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help keep it that way. So we'd really like you to be able to support them. Sponsor for today's episode is Menard Group USA. Do you have projects where you are faced with building on soft or loose ground? Does it seem like all the good sites are taken and you are always building on poor soils that are a challenge for conventional foundation approaches? Well, if that's the case, Menard might be able to help you, and they probably can. As a specialty ground improvement contractor, Menard works nationally and internationally providing design-build ground improvement solutions at sites with problematic soils. Their techniques include controlled modulus columns, wick drains, earthquake drains, stone columns, dynamic compaction, rapid impact compaction, and soil mixing. Typical projects include warehouses, buildings, material storage piles, processing areas, embankments, roadways, port facilities, storage tanks, containment structures, and platforms. In many cases, ground improvement is less costly than traditional approaches such as removal and replacement or piling systems. Menard works closely with civil, structural, and geotechnical engineers to minimize foundation costs for wide ranges of soil conditions, structure types, and loading conditions. To learn more about Menard Group USA or for help on your next project, go ahead and visit them at www.menardgroupusa.com. It's all one word, menardgroupusa.com. And I'd like to introduce you to uh, Natalie Carmen, who's going to be the guest on this episode today. She's a civil engineer and has built her uh, background in landscape architecture and biological and agricultural engineering to bring a perspective to design solutions that pairs form and function. Her advanced knowledge of civil engineering concepts, principles, theories, and methods allows for her to plan, design, and engineer site and land development projects. Natalie's portfolio includes grading, erosion control, phasing, environmental, stormwater, water, wastewater, site design, zoning analysis, and roadway plans. Her skill set is fueled by a passion to improve water quality 
and human lives by designing solutions that will serve future generations. I think you're going to pick up that that comes across in her comments as she uh, is, is quite excited about the Riverfront project. And it was, again, great interview, but why don't we just get into it? So with that, let's dive into our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, everyone. Now it's time for our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week with Natalie Carmen. Natalie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Chris. Before we got into the interview in this section, I had told all of our listeners a little bit about you, but I'd love to hear from you in your own words, if you can tell us a little bit more what you do on a daily basis. I am a project manager at Stewart in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I have a you know, pretty diverse workload. One of the things I love about civil engineering is just learning something new each day, but mostly I am coordinating on projects. So that looks like coming up with design solutions and communicating that with our staff um, and other team members, and then also training new staff, getting them up to speed on all the different aspects of what we do. It's pretty diverse. We're land planning and water resources. So there's a lot within that canopy and mostly, you know, desk work, but I also get out in the field quite a bit. Um, So like later today, I'll be on two different site visits, checking out some construction sites. So it's a good variety. I really enjoy it. Really get that opportunity to be, you know, doing some stuff in the office, get out there, get monkey boots, moving around, seeing things happening, which is, I absolutely enjoyed uh, earlier in my career. I wish I got to do more of it now. It's always great to go to a site and actually see things happening. So that's great. One of the things that we wanted to unpack in this in this conversation today was some of the experiences that you had on a specific project. And you played a key role in this project, this Riverton part project. And I'd be kind of curious to you know, kind of hear what was your role in that project as we kind of introduce the listeners to that and start to unpack that particular opportunity. It's called Riverfront Park, and it's in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I was involved early on in the concept development phase after the kind of master planning and public input period. So one of the best things about this project is just how many people have had input to the entire process. So I picked it up during concept, going through different stormwater solutions, working closely with the landscape architects and the rest of the team, and then going through design development, actually took a break uh, due to my second maternity leave, took a step back during construction documents, but then step back into the project during construction administration early on in the pandemic. So I've been with it for most of its lifetime. Maybe get a little bit more into some of that front end planning piece that was done. That sounds like that was a pretty significant effort with all the various stakeholders involved, but something I'd be interested to know a little bit more about because, you know, we again touched on this in the intro that I did for you previous to this section, and that's about this waterfront edge design guidelines or the WEDG. I do believe that there's also a certification that comes with that. So tell us a little bit more about what that particularly is and then what's the significance of it. Wedge is a relatively new guidelines and it was developed in the Northeast. And our project is the first one outside of the New York area to receive this verification. So it's the 10th project. and We're definitely proud to partner with Wedge. One of the important things on this project is that from the beginning, the mindset of the full design team and owner was aligned with the red wedge criteria. We were already doing a lot of the things that wedge values, such as the public input that I mentioned and 
having a consideration for the ecological footprint of the project, community impact, things that were already incorporated within the design. And that's why it was such a good fit for us to receive this verification. A little bit later, I'm going to ask you about the role and the importance of the stakeholders in this, because it's that's a theme that I keep hearing you come up in the conversation. So it's something that I'm always really interested in hearing more about. But before we get into that, I wanted to kind of try to find out from you maybe a little bit more about some of the unique features of the project that contributed to this eco-friendly design that you were trying to achieve. So from a stormwater perspective, there's seven state-regulated stormwater control measures. There's five permeable pavement systems, and two infiltration systems. So I think that in itself is a level of complexity that we were really excited to see implemented and permitted and now going into the ground. In addition to that, the overall park was paired with these additional measures that are not state regulated, but they're inherently providing um, hydrologic treatment for the park. So the great lawn that provides most of the seating for the amphitheater, this is a 7,000 capacity outdoor amphitheater event space. And that is infiltrating a lot of water, all of the water quality storm. The rest of the soils on site are also highly engineered with the intent to kind of mimic that pre-development hydrology. I think it's pretty interesting to hear about all these different engineered sustainability and, and resilience into a, into a project is pretty spectacular. And I know there's obviously a lot more of interest going into that. Um, and it sounds to me like your firm is one that has a bit of experience in that. You're with uh, the AE firm of Stewart. I am. We talked a little bit, so obviously involved with some of the echo pieces of that. But what other roles did your firm play specifically on this project? We had our geotechnical engineers, our structural engineers, civil engineers, myself and others, and also our landscape architects. So it's pretty involved from our side. The geotechnical engineers provided the initial borings into the existing soil to be able to quantify what structures would be required to support the buildings above. That was really critical to take this brownfield site with a lot of contaminants and historical uses and be able to re-envision that to something that can be a civic space for generations to come. And then our structural engineers took that. And there's really a lot of levels of complexity given a downtown site with uh, existing utilities. And so it was predominantly pile-driven support buildings, but there was also some cantilevered foundations over existing utilities. And then our landscape architects provided local knowledge on the flora for the park to help create the plant palette with the landscape architects Hargraves Jones out of New York. Stuart absolutely had hands in several parts of the project, and we were really excited to team with the other disciplines on the project as well. Pretty much any, any project that involves multidiscipline, there's always trade-offs that have to be made. And it sounds like this one had a number of interesting components to it with geotech aspects of it. Subsurface utilities, existing ones that needed to be accommodated, and then of course the ecological components that you were trying to weave in to make this, you know, and achieve this, the certification of the project. I'd be curious to hear your perspective on that. You know, that interface between the different disciplines. Did you see any major trade-offs that had to occur in order to be able to accommodate one or the other? And maybe I'll just ask, maybe a little more specifically, because we're really focused on this eco-friendly component. Were there any trade-offs that had to be made, let's say, in geotech or civil or just normal civils in order to be able to 
to really accommodate the eco component of that, what you saw in that multidiscipline back and forth. Trade-offs maybe not be the best word because I think it indicates kind of a sacrifice. And I don't think that, you know, we were very committed to producing a high quality product. The benefit is understanding, having the relationship and communication across disciplines to talk about things like we have infiltration channel from one of the infiltration systems under the building connecting to the river. So typically we wouldn't pursue that route. It would just be, we wouldn't want to compromise any building foundations or anything, but we have that proximity and relationship with the structural engineer for them to be able to say, that's no problem. We can accommodate this highly infiltrating soil below our building and adjust the footings around it to accommodate that without any trade-offs. So I think that's a good example. And then, of course, we worked very closely with the geotechnical on all of the soil and backfill to really understand the intent behind all of the design and construction documents as we ran into unknowns in the field. And I like how you said that. It was really trade-offs. Really, It was more along optimization as opposed to trade-offs. So I like the way that you approach that because you're right. Maybe that's from a lot more of my experiences and the clients that I've worked with, where you end up in that situation where it's like, okay, there's not enough money to pay for all this. So what are we not going to do? That's great to hear that it was more along the lines of optimization. Kind of carrying on on this this multidisciplinary uh, track, I'd be kind of curious, like, you know, again, you mentioned that Stuart was involved in a number of the different disciplines that were, you know, sitting at that table. You know, what kind of advantages do you think that that brought to the overall project team by having interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary capabilities within one firm that was able to come in and bring that into the overall project team? Allows for one, a team approach to any problem solving. I think we inherently approach it as a team. And so it gives you the freedom to bring your own expertise to the table and know that you're going to be heard and respected, but also know where that expertise ends and where to bring in another team member. It's so beneficial to have those people just, you know, a phone call or email or chat away to just ping ideas off and make sure that we're providing a unified solution that meets all of the metrics that we're considering. I think it's one of those things in project teams. If you have a you know a tight knit team that does come into that into a larger project team where you have maybe multiple you know a prime and multiple subs or multiple equal partners even in the JV, it's always disruptive when you've got one of those components that isn't working together correctly even internally. So it's great to hear that you were able to bring such a tight team into the uh, overall uh, project team. I was going to say we certainly have a collaborative approach. It's built into our culture and, and DNA, so it's a natural thing that we bring to any project. A lot of engineers will go into projects and they come out the other side and they're like, okay, that was either something I never want to do again, but have learned some valuable experiences from it, or gosh, that was great. I really want to do more of that and maybe leads them into wanting to go down a a specific track. So I'd be curious, you know, on this particular project, it sounds obviously like this is an area, a space of the civil engineering arena that really resonates for you. What do you find meaningful about these types of projects? And then maybe this one specifically, what's you know one or two really key takeaways that you're going to go into the next project and you're going to go, that was something off of you know, the Riverfront project was something that I really, really think was amazing. I think everyone who's working on this project understands that it's a legacy project, that it's something that we are proud to be a part of. And we're very excited to ha- launch it to the public and see just the civic component come to life. 
I think personally for me, I came into civil engineering with a, a vision to create enhanced stormwater solutions that really celebrate water and present those in such a way that the public's able to see them and be impacted by it. And so this lines up with that for sure. It's a little bit different than I originally envisioned just because so much of it is below ground, but the surface elements certainly speak to that, particularly the permeable pavement. What is really great about this project is the inherent capacity to infiltrate and how much that was maximized on site. You're right. I mean, I think at the end of any project, there's a lot of different ways to process it. And we're, we're wrapping up this project now. So there's a lot of moving pieces and, you know, we're approaching the finish line. So it's kind of a natural time to reflect. And I'm certainly keeping track of things I've learned, which I think the collaboration that we talked about was pivotal. If anything, we can do more of it and want to carry that approach forward. I think just regular communication was another big thing with the whole team. Um, we had a lot of communication with the contractor prior to the start of construction. They were involved early on. I've seen that trend in other projects, just owners understanding the benefits of getting contractors involved early on, and then also keeping the design team involved all the way through the end to make sure that the design intent is realized. I've seen a lot of both sides when that hasn't been the case where the you know the design team the design consultancies essentially let go once it goes into once it gets procured and goes over to, to construction and then and then you have issues that come up situations you have that early contractor engagement I think that that's great to hear in this particular case so understand that what type of advice might you have for the civil engineers that are out there listening who maybe came into this podcast and are listening to this or coming off of this podcast go hmm, I want to learn more about it what type of advice do you have for them to get involved with these projects that have these ecological significance? Is there something they need to focus on, at least as far as learning? Do they need to look for certain types of civil engineering firms? You know, what kind of advice do you have for them to get more information to help them kind of guide their path? Each person's path is unique, so it's hard to know what will kind of propel you to where you want to go. But I think the first step is understanding for yourself, where you want to go, and then finding people who you can partner with to get experience. I think that looks like primarily getting involved at the local level. If there's any ecological or sustainable initiatives in your area, if you're going to those events and getting connected, then you'll build those relationships that will ultimately lead to more projects. On a more just individual level, being educated, reading the latest research articles on particularly for my profession, stormwater treatment, but also the for this one, the landscape architect component was so important. So reading Landscape Architecture magazine and seeing what is kind of the cutting edge so that when you are on project teams, you're able to speak the other person's language and, and value what they bring to the team as well. Your last point, I think, is absolutely crucial. Uh, certainly in this case is, is really relevant in the type of what I, I'd almost classify sort of specialized or area that you are. For any civil engineer listening to this episode, really understanding how the other disciplines are going to plug into your work is, is absolutely crucial. If you have intentions of wanting to be successful in your work and, and be able to work successfully in a project team, is that really understanding how they're going to be looking at things? I think that allows each of us to be certainly a better engineer and, and avoid trade-offs and focus more on optimizing what the final design is going to look like. So really good points. 
If someone wants to learn more about the Riverfront project, is there some place they can go for them to get more information and kind of read up about the, you know, kind of maybe a project brief or something about the project? June 1st, there was just an article released in Civil and Structural Engineering Magazine um, about the project and our role. So it goes into a little bit more of the technical aspects. And then you can, of course, look up the park online, City of Wilmington, Riverfront Park. Or if you're interested in any tickets to upcoming concerts, Live Nation, they actually have an excellent lineup. I haven't picked which concert I'll go to first, but I'm looking forward to enjoying it as a just as a citizen. And I wish I was a little bit closer because maybe I would try to go check out some of those concerts, but it's going to be a pretty long haul for me from uh, the other side of the pond. So I don't think we'll be making that. That's awesome. And what a great way to be able to celebrate the backside of a, of a wonderful project to actually go there and participate and watch the community uh, enjoy the fruits of your labor. So that's awesome, Natalie. Thanks. We're going to transition into our civil engineering uh, hot seat segment of the week. So everybody just stand by and we'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back. And now we're going to move into the CE Hot segment with Natalie. Natalie, are you ready? I'm ready, Chris. So first question, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? So this could be something that you do in the morning, something you do at lunch, you know, just type of a routine that you do each day that that you've found to be really, really good about helping you in becoming the best successful professional that you can? Each day I approach it just kind of looking for the strength and wisdom for that day. And then I like to think of it more on a a weekly time budget and making sure that I'm eating well and prioritizing exercise, sleep, time with family, all of the things outside of my career that really allow me to recharge and be the best engineer. There's always more to do. But rest is so important and really critical to our survival and productivity as engineers. Definitely words to live by. I'm smiling because I I wish that I try to do the same thing as well, but it sometimes can be challenging, especially on the sleep piece. I mean, you know, given we all have hard weeks where, you know, you have to head down. It's like, all right, I'm not going to sleep as much this week, but thinking holistically about there's more to life than a career and thinking long-term about if you're really looking for generational impacts in your career, then you need to be healthy. What's one book that you either recommend or you would recommend to engineers regularly, or just one book that you found to be really you know, impactful in your professional or even your personal development? I really enjoy reading. So I'm, I'm always reading a book. Recently, I read the book Burnout the secret to unlocking the stress cycle by Dr. Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. This is the most recent one I've read that I was just telling all my friends about and coworkers. I think it's a very academic and scientific approach to stress and the idea that it's natural and should be expected, but there's healthy and effective ways to complete the stress cycle as they talk about. So it kind of ties into my answer to your first question, but I found it really fascinating and uh, appreciated the amount of research that went into it. Thinking back on managers that you had in the past, picture your favorite manager or maybe a number of those individuals. What made them your favorite? This is something I've been reflecting on a lot recently as I've moved into a project manager role, just to make be intentional about what methodologies I'm emulating and wanting to just incorporate and how I want to build that relationship with my coworkers and staff. 
managers who were able to balance trust and respect. So people who had the technical knowledge that I knew that they were, knew what they were talking about, but also the integrity to be willing to make tough decisions and kind of tell clients the hard answer, even when it wasn't what they wanted to hear. It was what was best for the project and best for the community. Also just treating individuals with respect. So I think when I feel respected and valued, I'm more willing to go the extra mile and um, stay committed. And what I'm hoping to do is instill that same relationship with people coming up after me so that they can trust me to be making good, sound decisions from an engineering perspective and therefore be willing to work and have the team perspective. Critical civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineering student, you had, let's say, 30 or 40 seconds with them, what's one piece of advice that you would give them? I think that my one piece would be to work somewhere that you're heard and your contributions are valued. That can be hard to determine in an incoming interview, but we all have something to offer. And specifically when we're on a more diverse team, we come up with better solutions. So if you can find a place that has a culture of belonging, then people are able to come up with the best solutions. And that's what we need for the next generation of engineering. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. Where can our listeners learn more about you, but connect with you if they want to connect with you or learn more about Stuart? Let's do it that way. Stuart. Inc.com is the best way to connect with us. And then I mentioned the article released in early June, so we can probably link to that. Really hope you enjoyed today's uh, episode and the interview with uh, Natalie. I know that I certainly did. We talked about a couple of links in there, a couple of different websites. Go check out, you know, Stuart. And then there was, uh, you know, the Riverfront Park Project where you can get yourself some uh, tickets for the upcoming shows at the venues there. Uh, we also discussed a little bit about a book that she's recently read. And you can find all that information over at civilengineeringpodcast.com. It's one big long word. Just type it in there, civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 176 and you'll find all the details there. So again, really hope you enjoyed this show. Look forward to being with you again here soon. And until then, enjoy everything that you do in your civil engineering endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.